Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions to fertility, and so much more. But today we're talking about sleep. It is crucial to our health, and a lot of us aren't getting enough good quality rest. And Senya says things like stress or anxiety, a nutritional deficiency, or a hormonal imbalance can be impacting our sleep. Healing Insight can help with those issues and treat you with acupuncture, utilizing calming points on the wrist, on the heart meridian that help you finally relax and sleep, and recommending herbs to calm stress and supplements to balance hormones. I see Senya regularly. She places needles in strategic points and then just lets me rest. I call it an acupuncture nap, and it's like a full night of restorative sleep in about 30 minutes. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn all about all of the treatments she offers. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Marjorie. Okay, we have a topic today that we touched on in the nest last week, and then I was able to secure a fantastic guest to talk about this topic. And it's intuitive eating versus diet culture, Marjorie. And when we talk to our guest, just based on her Instagram account, I have realized how much diet culture has infiltrated my life and how I don't even realize I'm thinking about life according to a diet, even if I'm not on a diet. It's crazy. Well, I think that's always the case, I think, for so many women. And I think that's such a hard place to be because it takes the pleasure out of what should be pleasurable, which is eating, which is what we all love to do. But if you're always thinking about a diet, and I think this is this is really hard, I think, especially right now for many of us who our patterns have changed. We're gaining weight. We're trying not to gain weight, but we're also not moving as much as we used to. So it's very complicated right now. It's complicated and it's it's all consuming. I mean, we're getting so many messages about how we should be on a diet. And what I'm also interested in in talking about today is how a lot of like modern eating plans that sort of sell you on health and wellness are actually diets masquerading as something else. And I didn't even realize this until I started investigating this intuitive eating mindset. I'm totally at the tip of the iceberg with this, but our guest today is definitely not. So I'm so excited that we're talking to Liz Winky today because she is a mental health therapist and intuitive eating counselor. Marjorie, it's free therapy on Best of the Nest yet again today. Don't we love it? (laughs) 
So she recently joined Venture Therapy, and Liz is passionate about educating people about the harm of diet culture and working with individuals looking to heal their body image and make peace with food. And, I mean, Liz is in the thick of it, man. So she's married. She has four young boys who she dresses in matching jammies, and I cannot stand it because they're so stinking cute. Um, She does yoga. She likes to be cozy. She cooks, and she's all about the coffee. And actually, her coffee order is something that I do want to bring up at some point today and how this was kind of like a revolutionary moment for me, too. So, Liz, so happy to have you on Best to the Nest. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this is very exciting. We love a good free therapy session anytime <laughs> yes, we can Yes, of course. One. Anytime. We anytime. do. Okay, so I was really not aware of this idea of intuitive eating until one of our previous guests, Annalisha Nimala, had mentioned it to me in passing, and I'd been seeing some things that she posted about it. And then mm-hmm. you and I, Liz, have known each other for several years. We have a really good mutual mm-hmm. friend, and so we see each other at some annual events generally that aren't happening this year, sadly. So I'm happy yes, to see you now. I yes. But I wanted to know about first intuitive eating, what it means, because this is something that has been like a real major shift for you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So intuitive eating is an evidence-based non-diet approach to health and wellness. It was created by two dietitians actually like 25 years ago, which is crazy. They just came out with their fourth edition of the book, Intuitive Eating. So it has evolved quite a bit since it first emerged, but it's based on uh, 10 principles and it's a frame, like an eating framework. The basic idea is that our bodies innately know and can communicate uh, their needs with us. Mm -hmm. And like, we're all born intuitive eaters. We come into this world. I mean, Elizabeth, you have a baby, you know, like when he is hungry, he makes it very known. (laughs) And if he's not hungry, he's not having it. You know, like we naturally know how to feed ourselves and how to respond, um, how to seek satisfaction, all of that. But then in comes diet culture and in comes all these messages about how we're eating wrong. Our bodies are wrong. We should fear our appetites. Uh, we can't be trusted to feed ourselves, all of that. And intuitive eating is really about like clearing out all of that diet culture stuff and getting back in touch with our innate knowing of how to care for our bodies. Isn't that good? And that's, I think that's the really hard part is the mm-hmm. innate knowing. I yep. think I eat some junk food. I don't eat a lot of junk food. And my husband and I, I sometimes live in Tempe, Arizona. And I sometimes live here in Manhattan, Kansas. And Mm -hmm. in the house in Tempe, I keep very little junk food. Here, there's a little bit more that surrounds me. And if it's not in the house, I'm pretty good. If it's Mm -hmm. in the house, the bag of Cheetos last night, super hot Mm -hmm. Cheetos, kept calling to me. And I'm like, no, no, I don't feel good when I eat you. I don't want you. But then I had two cups full of Cheetos. (laughs) How do you, how, so knowing I know I'm not going to feel good. It's still calling to me. How do we get to the innate knowing? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of that is diet culture coming into play. Like, you know, you have take we have all taken these messages, but for you, maybe it's been Cheetos are bad. I should not eat Cheetos. They're not good for me. I don't feel good when I eat them. And yet we also know that they taste delicious. So, (laughs) so if you keep them out of your house, you don't let yourself eat them. No, 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 no. When they're calling to you from the cabinet, 
eventually you're going to break down and eat Cheetos. Like yeah. that's just yep. biological. You know, we have this drive for things that are delicious and it doesn't mean that, you know, we never have drives for things that are nutritious too. But bottom line is we, we want to eat foods that taste good. Carbs are not bad. Cheetos are not bad. It's just, if we only ate Cheetos, that wouldn't obviously make us feel good. But it's, right. it's a lot of times it's the resistance to the food that tastes good and the resistance to keeping them around frequently, having it anywhere near you. It's that that keeps you wanting it more. Like it has more power when you resist so much. So is right. the idea, I, what I think I'm understanding is that this idea is really the goal to get to just food freedom where food is neutral in terms yeah. of you're not obsessing over what's good and what's bad. Now, I mean, now one could make an argument that Cheetos, one could make the argument that Cheetos aren't even food. Now, that, right. that, yes. is, like, <laughs> yeah. that is certainly an argument that, that could be made that I would probably lean towards, that when you are yeah. thinking about food, there are certain things in the American diet that aren't actually food. That right. being said, those are still food options that we are presented with in the place that we live. And so you have to sort of think of it as food in terms of getting neutral with it. And it is so true. It's like if you obsess over what you can't have, it makes you want it mm -hmm. more. You know, it's like a bad, mean boyfriend in high school, like the the bad guy right. that you like know is bad for you, but you still like think it's super hot. Yeah. And the Cheetos are literally yes. hot, Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's yeah, a I mean, I of freedom. I was just going to say, I think that Yes, there are things that are certainly wrong with the food industry in our country. There's certainly things that, sh like it or not, are available to us. And I think that the important part is learning to live in our culture that offers these foods and not be so afraid all the time. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, no one food choice or no one behavior is going to make or break your health. So eating two cups of Cheetos last night, Marjorie, is not going to make or break your health. And I think there is so much mental health that is sacrificed by obsessing over what you ate, what you didn't eat, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. And that actually causes a lot more health issues, the stress that comes around that stuff. So if we can neutralize it, that's actually better for your overall health, mental health included. Okay. Are we getting this, Marjorie? This is a tough one for us to get. It is. And I think the tough part is neutralizing. And I think yeah. for me, I th that's the part that the people that I know that have had real trouble with their weight, it's the neutralizing that's the difficult part. And I, I don't know how, how, how are they supposed to do that if the patterns of food obsession are there? Yeah. I mean, I think that we lose sight of the fact because we live in diet culture that that worships thinness, we lose sight of the fact that there is body diversity. Like not every person is meant to be size two with a six pack abs and long lean limbs. Like we, that is not how we were all built. I mean, if you think about any other species, there's like, look at, I, I think someone posted on Instagram earlier this fall about pumpkins. Like we look at pumpkins and they're all different sizes and shapes and colors and textures. And yet they're all pumpkins. And no one says like that pumpkin shouldn't be that big or that pumpkin shouldn't be that bumpy or that pumpkin. But like when it comes to humans, we look around and think that if we all ate this certain way, and if we all exercise this certain way, we would all look this certain way. And it's just a lie. It's yeah. not true. And so I think 
so much of it is coming to terms with the fact that maybe we're not all made to look the way that our culture says that we should look, Yes, which is very hard to come to terms with. It's really hard it's to come to terms that's with. It's hard work. So hard. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about your Starbucks order because I noticed you have a little, um, you have a little cup there. I've got a little cup of coffee. I here do. Too. One of the things I that really, there's a couple of your Instagram posts that have really resonated with me. I, I, I'm, I think you're such an amazing follow on Instagram mm-hmm. and it's mama stay underscore well, and we'll have a link to Liz's Instagram on our show notes. But I remember seeing you post something about your Starbucks order. And I thought this was so <laughs> fascinating and I'm going to paraphrase. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but it was yeah. something to the effect of you didn't even know what you liked at Starbucks because every time yeah. you went to Starbucks, you ordered something that was in line with whatever diet you were currently on. So if it was like, I'm going low fat, then you ordered according to that. Something skim, Mm -hmm. which is just so horrible. Anyway, something skim to me is like the (laughs) worst. And then if you were trying to do no sugar, it was sugar-free. And then if it was keto, it was coffee with heavy cream. And when you finally stop to ask yourself, what do I even want to drink at Starbucks? It was like you had mm-hmm. to think about it to figure it out. And I think that is so relatable. What was that moment like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I have, so I've been one, a dieter and two, a coffee addict since I was very young. And so, so much of it kind of went in line together. Like as I was starting to like coffee, I was already on diets. I started dieting when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So as soon as, you know, I'm in high school and starting to drink coffee, naturally like this process is going to play out. So of course it was the skim sugar-free vanilla latte because that's the lowest amount of points on Weight Watchers. And so that's what I would kind of like start to just naturally order because that's what fit in my plan. And so, you know, as time went on and I found intuitive eating, I kind of like had this little I don't know, come to Jesus moment of like, what do I even like? What do I even order? And I felt like that actually around a lot of food of like, what do I even want to eat? Cause everything was so dictated and, and set for me that I, when I started actually being like, what do I want to eat for breakfast? It was like almost like too many choices. And so, so with Starbucks, I started just like, honestly thinking of things that I like never let myself try. And then I would try that and then be like, Oh no, okay. I don't really like that so much. It's too sweet or that's um, not sweet enough or whatever. And I just kind of like went down the line and eventually honed in my normal order now, which is not skim, even though I think I've never ordered before that, before I, you know, stopped dieting, I'd never ordered a drink from Starbucks that wasn't skim in my whole life. I don't think, but yeah, so I landed on blonde, Vanilla latte, extra hot with an extra shot. Look at that. There you go. That's there what it she is. likes. There you go. It, I mean, Marjorie, though, don't you think that's kind of revolutionary to think about? I bet there are a lot of women out there, women in particular. I mean, men too, but we're talking a lot to women here that that realize that they don't know what they like because every choice that they've made about food has been based on whatever eating plan they're on or or if they or even just to the basic of if they're being good or if they're being bad. I think so mm-hmm. many of us just look at food as either we're being good or we're being bad. I th- I think that's a really key thing that you're saying right there. We're being good or we're being bad. Mm-hmm. And I still want to grasp this idea of intuitive eating because I think that idea of being free to make the choices that you want to make are so important of 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 changing your mindset of denial, of obsessing 
uh, when we were talking last week, Elizabeth was talking about if she thought she had one addiction, it would be to sugar. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's that idea that if something's in the house, well, mm-hmm. I might as well just eat all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, I don't have it's to think about it there anyway. <laughs> I might as well just, if I my, why have one, I might as well eat it and get rid of it and it'll be out of the house, which is, I think, not such an uncommon thought. I, I remember my husband telling me once he went to Weight Watchers and he went to a meeting afterward and, you know, they went to one of the meetings and the woman said, if if you want to have a cookie, it's okay, just have one cookie. And my husband, who never shies away from expressing his opinion, said, well, that just doesn't work for me. If I'm going to have one, of course I'm going to have two or possibly three. Like her just saying, just have one and that will be fine. To somebody who's trying to lose weight or is on a diet or is trying to follow points, just saying, just have one and that'll mm-hmm. that'll that'll do it. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm super intrigued by the idea of changing that mindset to something that feels freer. And and that's what mm-hmm. I'm getting from you is that intuitive eating is a freer way to live around food. Is yes. That, is that yes, okay. absolutely. I mean, I think when you first start out with intuitive eating, it probably won't feel that way. Like when you first start out with intuitive eating and you think um, okay, now I have full permission to eat whatever I want. Naturally, you're not going to be eating roasted broccoli and grilled chicken. Like, mm-hmm. because that's mo- for most of us, like what we've kind of been stuck with for all these years of dieting. And so naturally you're going to gravitate towards all the foods that you have told yourself are off limits that are bad for you, that you shouldn't be eating. So naturally that's like what you're going to start off with. But as time goes on and you kind of learn to trust that like, I'm still allowed to eat this whenever I want. You're going to start broadening your the variety of foods that you want because it doesn't feel good to eat any one food all the time, including vegetables. Like if you all you eat is broccoli, you're not going to feel good. That's not good for your body to just right. eat one right. food or one category of foods all the time. So when you finally can trust that if there's cookies around, I'm allowed to have cookies. I can have three cookies if I want. That's that's what I want to do, then then that's what I'll do. But eventually you kind of start to go, I don't need to do that anymore because it doesn't feel good in my body and I can have a cookie whenever I want. So I don't need to eat them all right now because then they're going to be off limits tomorrow or on Monday when I start my diet or on January 1st when I start my diet. Yes. If they're allowed all the time, you don't want to make yourself feel sick eating them. Right. There you go. Right. And that's where the freedom comes into. What's interesting, yeah. Liz, is this... Um, is the concept of all of these new, relatively new eating plans, which Marjorie knows mm-hmm. it drives it drives me crazy when people say like, no one should ever eat grains. You should never eat a grain in your mm-hmm. life because I'm like two thirds mm-hmm. of the world subsists on grains. And frankly, I think that's an elitist mindset to say yes, absolutely. that nobody should be eating grains. Like, okay, tell right. that to a family. I, it just makes me yeah. over the top. Right. That being said, yes. so, you know, you have people who are like, I'm paleo, I'm keto, yeah. I'm doing yeah. a whole 30. Those yeah. are, everybody knows that like Weight Watchers is a diet or Jenny Craig is a diet right. or something like that. But right. these kind of new right. newer concepts are what I think we told ourselves. They're lifestyles. They're health and wellness. They're about wellness. It's I just feel Mm -hmm. better when I eat this way, not it's Mm -hmm. a diet. But you would argue, Mm -hmm. and the intuitive eating camp would argue, there that's just a diet in like maybe a fancy outfit. Yes, a hundred percent. Yep. It's a it's a rebranded way to sell a diet. I mean, at the end of the day, like 
The diet industry is a 70 plus billion dollar industry. If they start to see people saying like, oh, diets don't work, or I keep circling back to this diet over and over again, and I can't keep the weight off, or I can't whatever, they're going to have to repackage what they're selling. Because it's, you know, it has to be monetary, and they have to be able to sell it to people. So when people are catching on to diets don't work, then they start to rebrand it as wellness. Oh, it's just about health. But plenty of people that go on diets to lose weight don't actually have any health issues. Like I personally, I mean, I was 12 years old when I started dieting. I had zero health issues. It was not about health. I actually have been many, many sizes. You know, I've been pregnant four times, so I've I've gotten way up and I've come back back down. And you I've me actually, both, girl. <laughs> yeah, I've actually never had a health problem. I've never had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, any of those things. And yet in my medical chart at certain times, it would say that I was quote unquote obese or overweight. And you kind of go, there's something wrong with that. If it's saying that just because of the weight on the scale, I am categorized as unhealthy. And I just feel like it's such a toxic message to send when really like all the markers of health that you could measure besides that didn't show any indication mm -hmm. of disease or unhealth. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obese is a difficult word in this culture. Yeah. And yeah. if your medical chart is telling you that, that, that right away would cut right to your self-esteem, yes. I yep. think, and put you in a place where you're like, oh my God, I got to lose weight. I got to lose weight. Even right. though, as you said, there were no health markers that were telling you you needed to lose weight other than right. that word. Right. What but then 12... I can start telling myself that it's about health. And so then I've now Interesting. justified why I'm doing all these restrictive measures of watching my food and counting my calories, which just focuses even more on your body and more on your food. Yeah. But really, like, it was it was always about being smaller because that's what society expects Watch of us. Mm -hmm. so, and is that why yeah. you went on a diet at 12? Yeah, absolutely. And I grew yeah. up with a mom who was always dieting. So I think that that's a lot of times what you end up seeing too is um, if you had that modeled to you in your house as a young kid growing up, then you kind of learn that like, at least for in my case, being a woman meant criticizing your body. Mm -hmm. It meant not, never being small enough, beautiful enough. And, you know, my mom, I don't blame her at all for that. Like we're all in this culture. This is, I sometimes just, I've heard it described as like, we're fish and the water around us is diet culture. And so of course, right. like, every one of us is inundated with these messages and we're all just doing the best, our, the best we can to manage that. But I think, you know, at age 12, somehow, you know, in my brain, my body wasn't good enough. And because I had watched a mom doing these diets and criticizing her body, I think that's just kind of what I thought you do. Well, and I think too, Elizabeth and I have talked about this quite a bit. I, 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 because of my metabolism, I fluctuate in weight less than a lot of my girlfriends do. Mm -hmm. But there are times when I'll be at one end, a little, maybe a little bit higher than my own comfort zone. And then there mm -hmm. are times when I'm much lower than I probably should be for health reasons. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth and I have both talked about that at those periods in our lives when we're thinner than we should probably be for our own body type, that that's when we get a lot of praise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really, it's, it's so interesting when you talk about that idea of being smaller 
mm-hmm. the the most praise I've ever gotten for my weight in my life, I'm five, four and a half, was when I was 99 pounds mm-hmm. from everybody around me except my family. Mm-hmm. Everybody, people I worked with, I was like, oh my God, you look so great. Well, I was mm-hmm. tiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm five, four. It's really hard to maintain 99 pounds and eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're not, you're right. I, actually, I was probably eating about one meal a day and tons of coffee. Tons of coffee. Right. And so I think that that's the thing about being small and that's such mm-hmm. a hot thing to think and how that coincides with what, who we are as women, mm-hmm. that society's telling us mm-hmm. to get smaller. It's just yeah. sort of a, yeah. metaphorically is such a dangerous That's, that's idea. the patriarchy right there, girl. Yes. That's what it There's is. So, is that so we're, much there. So yeah. much there is that we're better if we're smaller. Liz, that was, and Marjorie, that exact point that you're making is what resonated mm-hmm. me so with me so much. I reposted on my Instagram story a post that Liz had done the other week. Gosh, I think it was, I don't know, guys. I'm living in a pandemic newborn time warp, so I have no <laughs> idea when anything happens. But um, but Liz posted these these words, and they were so incredible. So she posted some quotes of some like comments that people would make. You look amazing. Have you lost weight? It doesn't even look like you just had a baby body goals. You've lost a lot of weight. Wow. Tell me your secret. And Liz went on to write, these comments are all well-intentioned, meant to flatter someone for their accomplishment, in quotes, of weight loss and a body transformation. In the moment, quotes, quote, compliments like these can feel really good to the recipient. If they've put a lot of work into changing their body and losing weight, it can feel validating to have others notice and admire their efforts. But here's the problem. Weight loss isn't sustainable long term. Bodies won't allow us to sustain a weight lower than they were designed to be without going Going to increasingly more extreme measures. Marjorie, that's your 99 pounds right there, girl. Mm, Bodies yeah, will do yeah. everything in their power to weight restore. So what happens when the person being praised for her thin fit body inevitably regains the weight as she's biologically designed to do, not because she's lazy and lacks willpower and all the compliments stop? How does she interpret that? What does she think people value about her? And here's what it is. I'm only attractive and seen when I'm thinner. My most important quality is my appearance. People are examining and critiquing my body. I'm not attractive or worthy of approval because I haven't lost weight. Maybe if I work hard enough, I'll be recognized and validated. My body is the most important thing about me. And Liz went on to write, we could all use encouragement. I just urge you to make compliments more than skin deep because those types of, quote, compliments are dangerous. And Marjorie, I just thought of this again the other day because I got a a text from my good friend Des who sent me a picture of me and her and my little one-year-old at the time, Bernie, when she would just turned one, and it was at it was at her daughter's birthday party. So Des sent me this note and the picture and said, "Look at baby Bernie. She was so little. This just popped up. This was this was my daughter's birthday party, and like I miss you, you know, whatever that kind of message." And the first thing I thought was, "Look how thin I am in that picture." And the Mm -hmm. reason I'm so thin is because Bernie had terrible food allergies and eczema, and I was on Mm -hmm. such a restricted diet. And I've talked about this before. I was terrified of every bite I put in my mouth because I had no idea Mm -hmm. if she was going to react to it. And all Mm -hmm. and every time I went anywhere, 
anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was flooded with compliments of how good I looked mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. And you just have no idea. Like Marjorie, you're getting all those compliments and you were feeling one of the worst times in your life. So Liz, mm-hmm. what does that send to us then? So you get, you finally get to this golden goal of where you're supposed to mm-hmm. be and you're so tiny and you look perfect and everyone's complimenting mm-hmm. you and you realize your life sucks. <laughs> so you're like, right. so, yeah. so now where am I supposed to go? <laughs> Right. I know. And that actually was a big turning point for me and what led me to intuitive eating in the first place is I remember just looking back on all these pictures of myself and being able to remember what diet I was on at the time. It's like a picture at a restaurant. I remember like, oh, I checked the menu before then and calculated what I was going to eat before I went there. Or, oh, on that vacation, I remember like losing a whole bunch of weight before I went there so that I could wear that swimsuit. But then I remember getting the picture back and thinking like, oh, I look terrible in this picture. And so it was just kind of like this realization that no matter where I was on the weight spectrum, I always remember feeling not good enough. So whether I was 50 pounds less than I wanted to be or I'm not saying that right, 50 pounds, whatever, you know, I'm lower or higher it was always like, I remember I was still trying to lose weight and it wasn't good enough. And I just think that when you are complimented on your physical appearance, especially your weight, it just, sometimes those positive compliments stick with you more than any negative thing anyone could say, because you think if I do this and if I lose the weight and if I look a certain way, I am worthy of praise. I am valuable. I am admirable. And I, and when weight loss, I I think the statistic right now is 95% of dieters who lose weight on diets regain the weight and more within five years. Yeah. So that's a, that's a researched statistic. So inevitably when you lose weight, get all these compliments, and then you start to regain the weight as you are biologically programmed to do and the compliments stop, it just really, really is heartbreaking, honestly. And you just, you know, you didn't even feel for many of us, we didn't even feel good enough when we got down to that low weight. But then when you've now regained weight, it just, I mean, I, I just think it can eat away at you and realize like, no matter what I do, it's never good enough. Well, I think in a lot of ways, that was part of what made Oprah so successful Mm -hmm. is her honesty about her weight and watching her weight go up and down and Mm -hmm. her honesty about the struggle with how that made her feel. Mm -hmm. And it's not a surprise that that resonated with her female audience Mm -hmm. because that's what women go through is that idea that, oh, I can lose it. I mean, if you're old enough to remember, you remember Oprah pulling 60 pounds of fat behind her on a red wagon. We'll never forget that. And she did not stay that weight. Not even for that day. Yeah. No, no, it was impossible for her to stay that weight. And I think that message always the message of sort of the fruitlessness of allowing your weight to be who you are, I think, is what resonated with so many women. Mm -hmm. Because like you, I, too, had a mother that dieted. Mm -hmm. I also had a very a father that was very weight conscious. So Mm -hmm. weight was often thought about and discussed and. I didn't, they didn't do what I think a lot of parents do, which direct, they didn't direct that at me, Mm -hmm. but it was very clear that if one or the other parent saw somebody who was not in good shape, they were noted. Mm-hmm. So inevitably, yep. you know you that that's that. their idea. Yeah, you get the yeah, message. comments about other people's bodies. People. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you internalize that even if it's not directed toward you at all. Right. 
which I'm grateful that it wasn't directed toward me because I think a lot of parents do do that. They get very uh, hyper aware of their children's weight. Yes. So I think, I think, um, that idea that of finding that idea of women finding where they feel good. I think that's easier said than Mm -hmm. done, but finding that Mm -hmm. sort of ideal weight that your body's gravitating to anyway is really important. So Liz, I mm-hmm. want to know before we go, and I think we're going to have to have Liz back to do like, to <laughs> talk even more about like how you actually execute this, because that's what I'm really yeah. intrigued about too, is how you actually get to these points. So Liz, mark yeah. your calendar. <laughs> we will we'll have you back. In a few You're days. coming back. Um, that being said, I do want to ask you before we go, what happens to people when they do find this food freedom, when they sort of get in this intuitive eating goal? And I mean, what has happened to you and what happens for the people that you work with? Yeah. Well, I think I touched on this a little bit already of just that when you first start out with intuitive eating, a lot of times it starts to feel like this feeding frenzy, which is really scary for people and can kind of honestly, like drive you right back into dieting if you're not prepared for it. Because if you've been at a weight suppressed state because of dieting and you start eating all these things that you haven't allowed yourself to eat and you start to gain a little bit of weight as that goes on, it obviously people are like, hold up, I didn't sign up for this. But I think that's to be expected because of the restriction that's happened. But if you allow yourself to really go through that process, that kind of, I don't know, maybe a honeymoon stage, so to speak, of foods that you've restricted, and you allow yourself to get through that point and trust that, you know, I'm allowed to eat what what I want when I want, you really start to realize like food just doesn't have the pull on you that it once did. I, I think people who are dieting are constantly think at least I was constantly thinking about food it was always on my mind what I was going to eat next what I was going to eat tomorrow what I ate yesterday food is constantly on your mind and what I have found is that through intuitive eating food is just food it's just not a big deal I enjoy it I like eating I love going to restaurants and trying new foods it's not like it takes the joy out of it but it's just not my whole life anymore. It's not something that I put so much effort and thought and obsession into anymore. I can be excited to go to a restaurant. Well, you know, when we used to go to restaurants back in the day Um, or, or parties or, you know, a dinner event or something like that. And can be excited about the food there, but it's not something that I allow to eat up so much brain space anymore. And you just, you just get to a point where you can forget that there's Ben and Jerry's in your freezer because you're allowed to have ice cream whenever you want it. And so you don't need it all the time. It's not something that you go like, Oh, it's Marjorie, the Cheetos. Like if you are allowed to eat Cheetos all the time, they don't really call to you that much anymore, or they do when you eat them and you move on with your life. And it just doesn't have to be such a big deal anymore. That's really sounds great. Especially with to my recent revelation of my sugar addiction, Marjorie. This is good stuff. Okay. Liz, we got to have you back. Yes, I'd love to. We want to, because I want to get to like some of the more nuts and bolts of how people actually execute this and how they can work with you more. But we do have Liz's email and um, website. She works with Venture Therapy Minnesota. And so we've got that uh, linked up on our show notes too, so that you can get more info on what she's doing. Liz, enjoy that venti, extra hot, blondie situation. You got going on there. I love it. I sure will. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I cannot wait till the next episode, which is going to be a how to. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts.
Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.